This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Fern Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Fern Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Today, we're going to cover processes, kind of a checklist you need when you buy a mobile home or when you sell a mobile home. Pretty simple stuff, but if you forget it or you mess it up, it's going to hurt. So we've learned a little bit here from the School of Hard Knocks. Uh, today, my guest is my father, Ferdinand Third. We're going to go over some of this together and just kind of tell you some of the things we use in our process for buying mobile homes. Morning, Dad. How you doing? Good, Ferd. Glad, uh, glad you had me on here today. All right. Well, you know, I, I couldn't tell you no, right? You've, you've built some of this list, uh, probably more of it than me. So you'll be a good guy to go through it. So maybe, Dad, why don't we just start with the sales? Uh, selling a mobile home is generally easier, as, as we know, because we don't, frankly, care as much about the condition. We want it to be, obviously, represent fairly and honestly that it's habitable and that it's in the condition that it clearly looks like. But we don't need to do some of the due diligence of, you know, looking under the trailer, for example, that you might on the purchase side. So maybe we'll start with the sales first. Maybe you run through some of the bullets on your list and I'll uh, add some color commentary uh, where I see fit. Yeah, sure, Wilford. Um, when we sell a home, obviously we want the home to stay in the park. I mean, unless it's something really bad that just needs to go, but we want it to stay in the park. We want a, a person living there paying rent. Um, we use a checklist uh, so we don't miss anything. And starting off, you want to get the seller's name, uh, you know, who's purchasing it, to make the model, the address of the home. Um, the details are really important because if you if you forget something, it could come back to bite you or at least cause additional work, double work. And nobody needs that. Um, again, the, the home's going to stay in the park. We're going to sign a lease. Um, uh, if they're just going to, uh, if they're going to keep the home in the park, we'll sign a lot lease. We'll collect the funds. Uh, we're going to need to sign the title, uh, give that to the buyer when paid in full. Uh, we'll create. Can I jump in on that real quick before on the lease? So as you mentioned, there's a lot lease. If it's a, if we sell the home, clearly it's not a home lease. It's a lot lease. If you sell a home on terms, some people sell homes on terms or contract for deed, then you probably have a second set of documents that you sign at the same time, which should be the contract for the contract for deed. And we always want to make sure we do the things in the right order. So for example, I'm not going to give you, if I sell you the home, I'm not going to give you the keys until you've signed the lease until I've got the funds. Typically we don't take a personal check on the first payment. We take on something of this size, if they sell a $20,000 home, we need bank funds, we need wire transfer, or we need certified funds like a money order or a cashier's check. And we never take cash. Absolutely. That's, that's very important. Um, we'll create a bill of sale. We'll have all parties sign it. Everybody gets a, gets a copy, of course. Um, we'll then we'll distribute those documents internally to our accounting department and to different folks that need to know. Um, again, that saves, we have to get them set up in a rent manager. So we might as well do it right, you know, right from the start. Um, and on the, I want to jump in on the title too, because one thing we've, we've, we've made this mistake in the past and, and that is we, when we buy a home, we don't, if we didn't transfer the title right away, 
and then we later sell the home, it's like, oh crap, the title still says John Smith. We bought it from with our name on the back signed. We were supposed to do this six months ago. Now we got to do it today. It's a fire drill. We got to wait six weeks and then we can't, then on the bill of sale, we'll need to say titles in the mail or title to be, de to be delivered upon receipt from government agency, which sometimes give people heartburn. So I think your point on the, getting the details right is appropriate, but also you got to make sure the title's in your name before you sign it over. Now, practically in this business, <laughs> titles move a lot without anybody registering it. And the way people do that is I've bought homes from John Smith and I look on the back and it's signed by John Doe from five years ago. And John, and John Smith's like, Oh, well, I got it from John Doe. I just never titled it. And I frankly don't really care because as long as it doesn't have the second guy, the second John, John Smith's name on it, then I can just take it in to the DMV and I can get it transferred from the original John Doe to me. Some DMVs or some clerks of DMV may want me to have a bill of sale, but some don't care. They're like, I don't care if you bill of sale, you got the title in your hands and there's no lien on it. And I can sign as buyer. Um, but that's the title. I got a whole nother episode with Kristen and me talking about all the nightmares of titles, but you know, we can prevent some future problems by, doing stuff, you know, more detailed today. So just want to add that note on, you know, when you're getting ready to sell a home, make sure it's already titled properly. And make sure you have the physical title in your possession. Sometimes it's like, oh, we own this home because we bought it from John Smith. We just, somehow the title got lost or he lost it or it came at the park and we have rights to it in a bill of sale, but we've not yet filed for a lost title or we've not yet filed for, you know, one of a number of strategies or processes to get the actual physical title with our name in our hands. And then if we sell, if we're selling a new home, it's, we've got a certificate of origin and we need to add to this list, collect sales tax. I'm assuming the state has sales tax. And then we probably need a sales tax ID and a retailer number and additional steps. But most of the time, you know, if you're, if you're selling a new home, it's going through bank financing and the bank is in the middle of that process. So it helps prevent a misstep, but we sold the house cash a couple weeks ago. So I, and I had a lien on it in the line of credit. So I sold the house for 49, but we owe like 40. So I didn't have the title in my possession. I had to get their money, send it to the bank, get the payoff. And then I still haven't got the title from the bank. It should be here any day. And then I'm going to give it to the new owner, but he trusted me. I put on the bill of sale title coming from bank. So anyway, just want to jump in and make Sure. Uh, also, every home we have, obviously, we want to have it insured. So once the sale is completed, same day, we go ahead and call the insurance agent, ask them to cancel the insurance, and then send us back a refund. Obviously, the, the bill is paid in advance, so we'll get a refund, uh, and you, you make a note and keep track of that. Again, we use a checklist uh, to go down the list and all these things so that you don't you know, miss anything. Um, also, we're going to call the utility company the same day. Uh, the new people will need to put utilities in their name. We also need to call and to let the utility companies know it'll be coming out of our name. Otherwise, there's a chance for fraud. Um, if we don't call in, anybody could call in and take it out of our name. And a week later, in the middle of the winter, had the power turned off, take it out of their name. So both parties need to call in. Pretty simple. It just takes a little bit of time. Um, we want to go ahead, if we had a first sale sign in the yard, we'll take it out of the yard um, so the property's ready to go. 
and it's, it's theirs. By the last thing we'll do, we'll inform either the county clerk or the treasurer, depending on the municipality, and let them know that there's been a sale. And that means next year that they'll send the tax bill to that buyer and not to us. And then we also, once a year, have to update our park list of all the, all the homes in the park. So again, that's pretty much it on the sales side. The, the key thing is following the plan. If you do that, it'll go pretty smooth. Yeah, and an additional, it's kind of implied when you say we send the information to the other departments like accounting. Um, I've done more on the accounting side than you have, but there's the additional step there is we need to, it's a, it's a fixed asset, you know, that we got a home, we need to, we no longer own the home. So our balance sheet says home goes from 10,000 to, to zero. Cash goes from zero to 10,000. If we had a 10,000 basis, there's no gain. If we had 12,000 of basis in the home on a cost basis and we sold it for 10, we're going we're gonna to book a, a loss, a net loss of $2,000 as an example. And that's going to flow through to our pro profit and loss statement for purposes of filing our tax returns. If that was the only transaction on this LLC, then we'd lose 2,000 um, for the year. So that's, that's part of that additional process as well. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's about it on the, the sales checklist. Sales are not too bad. Depending on the state, there's also state reporting. If like in Missouri, you got to have your, um, if you got your dealer's license, you've got to, uh, you've got to tell the state once a month that a dealer's report, which homes you sold. So that's an additional step. I think that's it. If I think of any more, I'll uh, wrap. But that's not on the checklist because you probably should put it on the checklist. To be honest, but it depends on the state, and it's not. A, it's not at the transaction. It's part of other reporting, and we have other calendar reminders for reporting, and and then you know we we would change the coloring on the site map, for example. We track the site map and things like that. Anything else on that one, Dad? Uh, that's it. I'm ready to go into the purchase checklist, Ferd. Okay, let's do that. The steps for purchasing a mobile home. Okay, so when we buy a home, we wanna have somebody with experience in our company go out and look at the home. And we're gonna measure it, we're gonna check the VIN, um, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, you know, all that. We're gonna check and see, make an estimate on site how much repairs are necessary so we have an idea. Um, we're gonna take a look even under the home. We wanna confirm there's a hitch. We wanna confirm there's axles. And if there's not, we need to let the mover know that so he can bring a hitch or bring axles. And generally, they're both in place. The probably thing missing the most often, which is not often, is axles. But again, you're going to measure the rails, the two rails under there, center to center. And that way you can tell the mover what we need. And then he'll, he'll figure out from his inventory what he needs to bring. And, so, for the, and for the concrete, we need to know that we need to know the the width between the I beams because that's going to it's going to influence our pier diagram. A lot of the newer homes you can get an actual pier diagram for the manufacturer, but on a used home, if it's you know, 50, 30 years old or twenty even even five years old, if you don't have the pier diagram, sometimes you can find it online. Sometimes you can't because some of these manufacturers went out of business at some point. You got to you know general rule of thumb is you need a, a pier every eight feet. And then maybe some, maybe an extra one in the back is more of an anchor. And then maybe an extra one under the doors. 
Um, but I know some homes, I know sunshine homes. I spent seven grand. I didn't know this learned the hard way cost seven grand in concrete instead of 3250 because the sunshine home, in addition to the piers underneath the I beams and the piers are the concrete, uh, basically under the ground here in Missouri, it's two feet wide by two feet wide by three feet deep. And then you have your cinder blocks on top. That structure would be the would be that would be the pier, in on a sunshine home. You because it weighs so much because the walls are two by six instead of two by two or two or only two by three or two by four. You have to have perimeter piers, which means we had to put additional piers around the perimeter of the home to hold the weight of the home. And it was normally it's like twenty one homes for a sixteen by seventy six twenty one piers for a sixteen by seventy six foot home. For this home, I think I paid for like forty eight piers including a couple 5,000 pound piers in the back and the concrete bill was $7,000. So. Yep. Anyway. So anyhow, once we've uh, determined that the home is something we can use, um, we have to have a spot big enough for it. And some of the parks, uh, the older mobile homes were shorter and this might be an 80 footer and we want to make sure we have a spot for it. So we also check for that. But again, we already know that ahead of time. We're going out in the field. We're determining what this home is worth. We reach agreement with the seller and agree to buy it. Uh, what we do next, again, we, we have a checklist for this also. We want to make sure they have clean title. They want to have the actual title, not just a copy. And it needs to be clean, meaning no uh, no liens on it. If there was a lien, and typically there would have been from the bank originally, we want to see that the title has stamped right on there and signed by a bank representative that the lien has been paid off. We're going to want to also make sure, and we have the seller do this, that the taxes are current. We don't want to have to come back later and pay the taxes. They should do that. And we don't want to find out that Taxes haven't been paid for three years, and that's a, another whole uh, can of worms. Um, on the title itself, we'll have the seller seller uh, sign it, uh, will sign it. Um, once we have the title back in place, we will take it to the Secretary of State's office, have it put into our name. Um, the title will be applied for, and usually it comes four to six weeks later, depending on the state. Um, we'll create a bill of sale and have all the pertinent information on there. Again, everybody signs it, everybody gets a copy. We send that to accounting so we can put it into rent manager and whoever else needs to be aware of it in our company. Um, we will then arrange for a cashier's check, you know, good funds um, uh, to be hand delivered. And typically we do that. We will have somebody typically hand deliver the check, get the keys and get the title. Um, that's the simplest. If it's far away, we can do it a little different, but that's typically how we do it. Again, we're going to have a copy of the title ahead of time with the VIN number, with the size, with the location. We're going to call our insurance agent ahead of time. I, I, I prefer not to buy it at noon today, and I call the insurance agent at two, and a fire happens at one. I can avoid that potential risk by just calling the insurance agent ahead of time and say, hey, we're buying this tomorrow, bind it today. Um, once that's done, we arrange to, uh, for delivery and we probably already called some of our favorite movers to see what their schedule is so that we can get it ready to go. And as we all know, getting movers is a challenge. We're also gonna wanna make sure that 
our pad is ready. Uh, Ferd referred to that a little while ago, but you want to have, you know, your concrete in place. You want to check your utilities. Is it a hundred amp? Is it 200? We'd like to know that ahead of time. We want to uh, check the sewer line, have kids in the neighborhood throwing rocks down it and plugged it up. A lot easier to test it right now. Uh, run some water down it, make sure it flows without a home being over top of it. Let me, let me jump in on the the pad too. So I, I mentioned the piers earlier, typically on new homes, if they're HUD states, you've got to have the piers and you've got to have gravel down. I think it's typically it's called AB3 gravel, and then you'll crown it to like, so the water will run away from the home and you'll put a vapor barrier down underneath the cinder blocks. That's for new, generally for HUD sets and new, for new homes and states require, some states do not require that. Like Kansas, for example, you don't have to have piers. You can just, you can put down like crushed rock, just put it flat on the ground. Um, other states, especially in the South, where it doesn't get that cold, they don't really care about frost depth. So you can just put it on the ground, put it on the earth. You can put it on plastic pier pads. Um, so you got to know what your state guidelines are, because uh, like in Missouri here, we've done lots of homes. The, the new homes require the HUD set. The used homes supposed to require the HUD set, but they don't inspect used homes. So the vast majority of movers are like, we're not going to, we don't care. And we're not going to go through the effort and the expense of putting in the concrete. We're just going to set it on pier pads, which are basically little plastic squares that you put the cinder blocks on there to create some form of level on top of the earth. Obviously, they're not below frost depth, so it's a, an inferior set. And if you're in Texas, it's probably not a big deal. But if you're in Iowa, it's a big deal. So you got to so prepping the pad is different depending on where you're at and what the type of home is and what the regulatory environment is. Yep. Also, when you're talking to your mover, you want to ask him uh, if, if we have a deck that's going to be moved, some are not worth keeping, some are. But if we intend to keep the deck, which are darned expensive to build, we need to see if the mover can move that. Uh, a lot of times they can, sometimes they cannot. But if we're going to keep it, we'll arrange for our guys with a trailer to go disassemble it, cut it in half if need be, haul it in, in, in whole if it's not that big, but arrange to get that delivered. Um, yeah, and also, obviously, we've got other episodes on moving the homes in and the whole permit process, all that. So we're not going to cover that today. But but obviously, when you're going to move the home, depending on where it is and what it is, is it, hooked, is it already on wheels? Is it already hooked up? Um, you, you have to un, un, disconnect the utilities. Is it double wide? You got to break down. That's all. It depends. I mean, today we're not going to go just for our audience. This is not this is not soup to nuts. Everything on a mobile home. This is a this is the basic checklist I look for before I buy it. And part of that is just like a checkbox prep for move. And there's a whole nother process that I know I've already chunked that all into one prep for move. Um, it includes all of these things, some of which we've mentioned, but this is not the all inclusive list of prep for move, for example. Yep. We're also going to inform our park greeter. Also it's quite possible we're buying a home in a park and uh, no move is necessary, of course. Uh, in any event, we're going to want to have the utilities put into our name. Um, we'll create a, a budget for a remodel. Uh, very seldom do you just buy a home, probably never, that's totally ready. But you figured this in when you, when you bought it. But you figure your budget, schedule the work, line up the crew, uh, do the whole scope of, of work. Um, if you're going into winter, you're not going to have it done or if you're not going to have it sold, you need to go ahead and winterize it. So that's something on the list. Um, we'll have them come in, we'll drain the water lines and the, the whole process on that. That way, in case cold water, cold weather hits, 
you don't need to worry about it. Um, at that point, we might also go ahead and start our ad, get an ad ready to go. Um, Facebook, sign in the yard, whatever we're using. Um, inform our greeter or our sales manager so they know, so they're ready to sell, know the details, know the terms, if we're going to sell it uh, on terms. Sometimes we'll stage a home. A home will sell faster if it's staged. The living room, uh, generally we do the living room, uh, maybe the kitchen once in a while. Just bring us some furniture, sofa, chair, lamps, uh, makes it look good. Little extra work, but again, you can transfer it from this home to the next one. As one sells, you just move it and arrange showings and they're off to the races. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's most of it. Um... I just do a thorough job on making sure you got the right price based on the remodels, anticipated remodels. So some of that maybe not right, right order, but in general, get your paperwork right. Make sure they got the right title. Make sure you got the payment set up, the insurance set up, delivery, prep for sales, prep for remodel, utilities, winterization. <laughs> Makes sense today. It's four degrees is where I sit. So definitely winterization is top priority. Okay. Well, I don't think we have much we missed. Um, if so, well, luckily I don't take feedback on these, so um, we get away with it. Uh, that's our that's our checklist for uh, buying a home and selling a home. Okay. Right. Anything else you want to add before we go? Like that covers it, Ferg. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Okay. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.